Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Wrong to Strong Chicago. My name is Omar Calvillo. I want to thank my guest, Pastor Manny Rivera, for joining us today. Uh, since 2014, Pastor Manny Rivera has been serving as senior pastor at Restoration Church of God in Aurora, Illinois. Prior to that, he was a youth leader for eight years with a passion to reach inner city teens for Christ. His vision and primary focus at Restoration Church consists of four core principles. To be a place that develops healthy individuals, that restores families, that impact the community, and that evidently will change the city. He has a passion and a zeal to reach the unreachable. The Lord has called him to be a ray of light in the city of lights. So welcome to the Wrong to Strong Chicago podcast, uh, Pastor Manny. Well, thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be, be part of this amazing movement. Grateful to be on tonight. Amen. Th 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 thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, so uh, you're uh, married. Uh, I believe you mentioned three daughters. How, how long have you been uh, married for? Well, me and my wife have been together for 22 years. Uh, we met back in 2000. But we've been married for uh, 17 years. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And I actually met uh, Pastor Manny Rivera, I think it was the beginning of the year. I forget one month. That was when JC from Wrong to Strong came out here to Chicago. Then he went out to Aurora to get baptized. And that's how I met Pastor Manny. So I've been in contact basically just probably through text and uh, like group chats. But yeah, I'm glad to have you on here, Pastor. And uh uh, I'm excited to have you on here because uh, up to now, it's, it's mostly on this podcast. I've had none but hooligans, you know? So I'm uh, like, man. Hey, hey so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm hey, not far from that, bro. Uh, yeah. I, hey, I'm glad to have somebody that, that lived the, the right way his whole life. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I came from the same type of lifestyle, maybe different neighborhood, but. Amen. Life, man. Amen. Amen. No, we're gonna get into that, man. But I just wanted to, you know, yeah. mess around. But yeah, right. <laughs> hey. So yeah, we're eventually, you know, we're gonna get up to how you're a pastor now. You know, you're serving the, the community out there, and it's it's evident from just like being around you, just the love that you have for God and the love you have for His people. But obviously, we we didn't start there, right? So we're gonna go back to the beginning. So I'm gonna ask you, tell us what part of Chicago you grew up in. Uh, what was that neighborhood called? And maybe if you could describe for those that are not from Chicago or familiar with that area, what, what it was like gr gr growing up there. Uh, born and raised northwest side of Chicago, Humble Park area. Um, from what I remember, maybe till about five years old, we lived in a third floor apartment, Costner, Armitage. Remember uh, living there a couple years, then uh, slowly uh, my mom and dad, my dad raised me, um, slowly started moving us from the Humble Park area to the Brickyard area, which was by Fullerton and Narragansett. But I always ended up staying in the Humble Park area, you know, join the gang. But you know, the the young life it was it was not very stable. We we're always moving from place to place. Uh, my mom and my dad, everything was going well. At the beginning, I remember we used to have family dinners. Every Friday was a payday, and they would take us out to eat. And family life was good until maybe when I was uh, 13, 14 years old. That's when everything started falling apart. Okay. Uh, my, mom and, my mom and dad got divorced. There was just obviously infidelity, and there's a lot of issues going on involved that uh, 
family life started breaking down and things just started going south from there. Um, okay, so would you say like prior to you being 13, like life seemed pr pretty good as far as like home, everything was good? Yeah, everything, everything was good, man. I remember, um, you know, the, the principles of parents trying to raise their children in the right way and keep them away from negativity and try to they try to keep us on the straight and narrow. I was the oldest of three. I was myself, my younger brother and sister. And um I was the problem child. I was always getting in trouble and acting a fool in school and being a bully and um so I, I pretty much I, I gave I was the big headache for my mom and dad. Um, my other my brother, my sister <laughs> they weren't as bad as I was. Okay. But I guess it was just a uh, the rebellion side of me, man. Something that I was always trying to do right, but always was drawn to do bad. Okay. Now, let, let me ask you this. I know you mentioned like everything's some good and then the divorce happened. Now, did, did you feel like the divorce like lead you to get more like on that rebellious side or were you already like that prior to this? The rebellious side started a little bit before the divorce, but as I started noticing things changing at home when, um, Mom and dad were having a fight, an argument. Mom would leave. She was gone most of the day. Then there would be times that she wouldn't be coming home three, four in the morning. And it just started, things started changing and I started questioning what was happening. So one day I ended up staying up late waiting for my mom to come home and seeing, uh, seeing another guy drop her off. That's when it just really, that's when that anger and hatred started building up inside of me caused the rebellion to really, really come in and started acting out a lot more in school. Started cutting class, high school. I mean, started uh, not caring. Gotcha. So the official divorce took place, and after that, it went out. Man. Okay, so yeah, I'm sure that, that played like a big part in that. Now, as you were being rebellious and out there, was there anybody, like, let's say, in your teenage years that you looked up to? Maybe that influenced you at this point in your life? It was uh, friends in school. Um, since we were always moving, uh, I went to different I went to different elementary schools, which established friendships with different individuals from different neighborhoods. So we ended up moving close to the Brickyard Mall. Um, but I ended up um, hanging out with the old friends from previous neighborhoods. So I, I ended up back in the Humble Park area. Uh, on uh, Bulletin and Kimball started hanging out with gang members in that area because they were old friends so Okay, so you felt more uh, comfortable like with these guys that you knew like from, from years years before? Yeah, it was more I felt like a family setting I felt uh, the bond the love of uh, I was lacking and from family family life at home wasn't falling apart so being around these friends and um, older guys were showing me that love you know in the wrong ways obviously and going to parties and doing drugs drinking just started slowly taking control of my life consuming my life it, it felt you know once I started making connection with these guys it was just that the emptiness that I was feeling from my parents getting divorced that emptiness was starting to be filled in with these brothers, these guys that I grew up with, but also the older guys that I'm beginning to look up to and, you know, the, 
a savage lifestyle in women, the position that they had, respect that people give them. Um, that's that's me. Wanted to, I wanted to be like that, be one of them. Right. Yeah, because at, at that point, it was like filling that void, like you said. Now, can you describe like your mindset during that time? I know that was a long time ago, but like, how, how did you view yourself and the things you were doing and involved in? Like then it was, um, I started game banging when I was 14 years old. So still the mind of a child, but I had to grow up fast. Being around violent areas, and having to uh, protect myself from being ambushed or other gangs running up on us. I had to grow up quick. But the mindset I had was just, Angry, you know, frustrated, felt like I was unloved by uh, just by the family, home life. Now I was on the streets, you know, just taking out that anger and that frustration. I felt felt untouchable, feeling like I was on top of the world, man, and not having to worry about being at home. It was just pretty much running the streets. I would get home when I would get home because, you know, now that my my parents were divorced, my father he worked the third third shift. So nobody was home at night. So it was pretty much run the streets at night when my father's at work and then come home and sleep all day. And then get up, you know, when it was time for him to go to work again and I just go and do it again. I felt like I was on my own. Like I didn't have no parental guidance, nothing. It was just uh, me against the world. Whatever I decided to do, that's what I was gonna do. Right. Man, that's crazy. Hey, could, could I ask you this? Could, could you describe that area? There's like maybe a lot of people listening that are not familiar with Chicago or like the streets. Maybe give us a story or two of just the things that happened in that uh, area, you know? Well, there was, this is a crazy thing about it, man. When I was, before I started getting I remember my stepdad, I think I was like 10 years old, 11 years old, took me to a neighborhood that he actually used to hang out when he was younger. He told me, you know, this is a bad place. This is an area you shouldn't ever hang out in. These are bad people. This is infested by gangs. And he took me to that area. And long story short, a couple years later, I ended up going to that same neighborhood that he took me to, that he told me to stay away from. And I ended up joining the gang from that neighborhood. But the the gangs are are, are set apart by by blocks, by, by street, by street blocks. So you could be in one area and maybe four or five blocks away. It's another street gang that's not not that far away. So I could remember a story of when it was me and, and a couple guys. We were drinking and smoking, and some other of our our boys were. They got into it with, with some other with another gang in another neighborhood, and uh, so they happened to come to our area. And we were about two, three blocks away, but we could hear all the commotion. And we heard uh, cars ramming each other and clouds. We ended up running three blocks and heading out to where they were where they were fighting at. And when we get there, there's about seven, eight guys just going at it, punching and kicking each other and throwing bottles at each other. And at that point, I was about 15, 16 years old. And I'm, and I'm trying to join in so I can help out my boys from, from getting, you know, whooped by the other guys. And I'm trying to figure out, like, man, what am I going to use? 
So I look at this, at this branch from this tree that was kind of hanging. It was a big, huge branch. And I don't know how in the world I had the, the strength to pull that branch off that tree. But I pulled that branch off. And I grabbed that tree, that piece that it was it was a big branch. And I just started going at it uh, and fighting these other gang members and just, just, just hitting them as hard as I can. And it, it really got really rough where we were, you know, we were fighting for a good five, ten minutes. And then eventually we uh we heard the sirens coming and and we all ran away. A couple of my boys got locked up, but I ended up getting away. But that's just one of the stories that that I could remember. It was just a long time ago. Um, another story we were just riding around in the neighborhood, in the hood, happened to see some some mops from another set that we started throwing up face signs and we knew who they were and just remembering uh in that vehicle man and then pulling out the pulling out the, the weapons and start shooting and stuff and first time um, being involved in something like that it was really you know being so young being 15 I believe I, I think I was being so young and, and witnessing that and, and hearing gunshots and you know when they started shooting back at us oh man it was uh, one of the scariest moments that I went through but that was just the beginning of of what was I was gonna something I was gonna get used to seeing all the time. Right. So it's just a two of the stories that I remember from when it first started where I started really seeing a lot of violent acts and seeing a lot of fights and fighting against other gang members. Right. That, you know, kind of like paints a picture for, for the listeners. You know, we want to give them like a glimpse of the things that went on. So basically, man, yeah, you're right. 15, you're getting involved in this, and you're getting used to all the violence and everything happening. What happens next? Like as you're continually, I know you mentioned doing drugs, drinking and all that. Like what's next as, as you're living in this life? You know, just being around these brothers, it was first drinking a lot of, lot of alcohol, drinking a lot of beer, hard liquor, and smoking weed. And then I was introduced to cocaine and cocaine really it consumed me it consumed me to the point where I got I got super addicted to it and I was doing it every day and it just caused me to not think straight you know getting locked up and going to jail for possession of a stolen motor vehicle and before I was 18 I ended up going to the Audi home which is on uh, Roosevelt Western and spend, spend a little bit of time there and got out on probation. And uh, it was just wild, bro, uh, being on probation. And then my mother, she didn't want me, you know, she didn't want me to live with her. So the system came in and they ended up uh, sending me to a group home. So I lived in a group home for close to a year. Um, and a group home is actually, you know, like a, like a foster home. So you're okay. there with other individuals that are, uh, you know, that are wards of the state. So because of the, the lifestyle that I was living in, you know, my mom or my dad didn't want to have anything to do with me. So the ward, the state came in and they took they took um, custody of me. So how, how, how much time did you spend there? I was in a group home for like a year. Then at that time I ended up turning 18 years old. Then at 18, it was just, you know, off of my own and just doing craziness. Um, there was a time where I was homeless for for four or five months and living in the hood. I actually uh, sleeping in an abandoned car in the neighborhood. And I remember uh, a shower and stuff at a different friend's house that was close in the neighborhood. So 
But man, I, I remember, man, there were times where I would be going hungry and I would go to the, the Walgreens down the street and steal food just to eat. It was some rough times, man. Uh. And um, I ended up catching another case, which uh, it ended up uh, ended up going going to prison and spend three years in prison for a case that was caught. Man. So, yeah, so out there, homeless, and you said you got locked up uh, for two years after that? I mean, when you got that no, next Three case? years. Oh, three years, man. Yeah, three years. But it, when I was gone, um, prior to going to jail, I had met my wife. Okay. So my wife, she was 16, I was 17. But when I met her, you know, I was uh, doing a group home, and I ended up, you know, it was just it was just rough. She dealt with a lot of the things that I, I faced, but when I, when I ended up going to jail, she stood by my side. You know, she would uh, write me letters. She would set my phone calls when I was called. She would send me money, you know, to put on my book when I was gone, when I was locked up. And, um, yeah, she stood by my side, man. It was, uh, I was really appreciating that, that when I was gone, she stood there. Yeah, I mean, that that that, that speaks volumes. Because let, let me ask you this. What, what, what were your friends during this? That, that, were they, like, sure. doing, doing the same? Could you share that? Nah, you know, when you get locked up, man, it's pretty much you and uh, you're on your own. If you're fortunate enough to have family members to step up and really be there for you and put money on your books, your commissary and, and send you letters, or if you're, you're blessed enough to have uh, a wife or a girlfriend to be there for you, that's pretty much it. None of my boys right. uh, helped me out or didn't put no money on my books. I didn't receive no visits or nobody wrote me no they call them kites. Nobody wrote me no letters. <laughs> you know, it was pretty much, you're on your own while you're in there. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, if you ain't got no family or your, your girl there doing that, man, yeah, it's, it's tough. Can you Go share your, your, your experience in there? Like, how, how was that, you know, maybe some of the things you've seen in there? Or how did you spend your three years? You know, what kind of things were you doing in there? It ended up first, you know, in Cook County Jail in 26, California, 18 years old. Security wing and being there, finding the case, going to court, having a witness, you know, people holding chains. And, you know, while you're taking a shower, somebody has to have security protecting you, make sure nobody comes, you know, stabs you up while you're taking a shower. So, all this stuff is new to me while, you know, I'm out at to fighting the case and then getting my time and then being sent off to the medium prison that I was at. But just going through that process of from, from the Cook County Jail and being put in the put in the uh, shackles and, and sent on a bus to, to Stateville and waiting at Stateville for a couple weeks before they ship you off into to the, the prison that you're going to spend the rest of your time at, and just going through that process of you know being young is the first time down facing that scene all that. To be honest with you, it was a little bit scary at, right. at first, but. If something clicked inside of me. It's just, man, if you let that fear consume you, you're not going to survive in here. And if they, you know, they sense fear. You go in there, they know oh, yeah. that, uh, that you're a newbie. And if, if you don't stand up for yourself, you don't protect, you know, you don't fight back or, or you don't stand up for yourself, they take advantage of you. And, and there's something clicked inside of me where, you know what, if I don't, if I don't man up, you know, I'm going to end up being somebody's, uh, girlfriend in here <laughs> or I'm going to end up being somebody, you know, so gotcha. it really, it really pushed me to to, to toughen up right. being so young and not knowing a lot about, you know, the prison system and, 
and how everything ran. And so I ended up, you know, when, when they sent me to the prison that I was going to be at, it, it was just uh, being on that bus, having no shackles, stepping out of the bus, looking at everything and going in, the whole uh, whole scene, the, the smell, the, the, the doors locking behind you. It was just, man, it's just something that it does something to you. And then, yeah. You know, you ended up you end up going to the wing that they send you to, and people asking you what you ride, who you run with, and you know, you just got to stand up for for what you believe in and what you what, what you represent. Right. And if you're not plugged up, then people take advantage of you. And right. those three years, it really taught me how to how to man up and how to you know not be afraid. And yeah, it's still to this day, I'm a a light sleeper. I hear everything. Oh yeah. I think I got that from <laughs> I think I got that from spending that time in jail. And then it's been a lot of years, but right. oh yeah, yeah. Um, that's a that's it, three years a long that, time, you know. Yeah, just something that, you know, if I hear something in, in the house or if my wife moves suddenly in the bed, I'm awake right away looking around and <laughs> and it's just something that's never left me, you know. Yeah. Like so many years later, it's just an experience that is still to this day it's just something i guess doesn't go away oh yeah that's for sure man i mean it's kind of like a mm -hmm. like a survival instinct that you develop you know because you mentioned any little noise yeah, or anything hey <laughs> you gotta be on point man yeah, you don't right. know if you're, you're you're you don't you know you, you're bunking with a person and when you first get in there you don't know who they are right and the first first month or so you're you're trying to get to know this person that's right. sleeping in your cell with you you've seen what they're about and and if they're you know, you end up clicking with the individual, then you're good. But yeah. just imagine you're in a small, yep. small cell living with another man. <laughs> so in the beginning, you're just trying to feel him out. Hey, man, could, could I sleep here? Or I got to sleep with one eye open until you, until you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah, hey. Until you feel comfortable. Yeah. But then, you know, you're constantly, yeah. you know, some of the, the cellies in those three years, they, they had a few of them. And every time they put a new cellmate, it's just uh, the first, first, First month, you're just on, on you know, you're on, on guard. Like, okay, yeah. but thank God nothing ever happened, right. and uh, ended up establishing good relationships with uh, with uh, the cellmates that I had. So yeah, it was a uh, it was a crazy experience, man. Right. Things that I witnessed in there, and people getting beat up, and oh man, it's just something that once I left that place, I told myself when I got out on parole, I'm like, never again coming back. Okay, you get out. You know, you did your three years. Where did you go and what's next in your life? I get out. I go back. I go back to living with, back living with my stepdad. They're living with my stepdad. Um, but I ended up going back to the same thing. So, uh, so my stepdad lived um, in on, uh, Northwest Side by, he lived by Fullerton and Central. So, um, while living in that area, there's one gang that, that controlled that area, and obviously I wasn't in that gang. Okay. I was uh I was in was in the other gang. Right. Well, so there was a park park that divided us. So where he lived at, and then there was a huge park, and then a big field. You would have to cross the field onto the other side, and then that's where that's where our gang was at. So. Living there with my dad, I had to cross the field to go to my hood. So 
and would like literally had to watch my back every time I would go home. I'd be watching everything, making sure that the ops weren't there. And then, then if I didn't see anybody, boom, I would rush inside of the house and be there, you know. And then when um, he would go back to work, I'll leave again, go through the field, go back to my neighborhood. So I ended up going back to the same thing. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm on parole. Right. And being on parole, you know, you've got rules that you got to follow. you got to yeah. stay clean. They do drug drops. Man, I didn't respect any of that, man. <laughs> I ended up going back on the block, drinking, smoking, doing, you know, just being out there wild. And um, I had to uh, check in or parole, and I didn't. So then they end up, they end up violating me. I violated my parole. And I remember, man, they came and grabbed me on Thanksgiving Day, man. He surrounded my father's house like if I was a murderer, bro. Right. And then they snatched me up. And so when I told myself, I ain't, I'm not going back to prison, I ended up going back. I think I was out for a good, I think, five, five months, I believe. All right. I ended, up, I ended up going back to prison and doing the rest of my parole time. I had a year left, so I had to go through the rest of the year. Um, so, yeah, I told myself, I'm not going back there, but I violated parole. Right, right. So I ended up going back and doing my parole time, and I was back locked up doing the parole time. That's where things started changing, where God started trying to get my attention, where there was three different inmates while I was locked up they came in started telling me about God and Jesus I was uh, a little bit a little skeptical at the time because I didn't know didn't know too much about God I was you know my family was raised Catholic okay. we were raised Catholic and uh, so religion wasn't something big in our family so when I had these three random dudes telling me about Jesus and the Lord and preaching to me kind of put up that wall and that barrier like yeah. I'm going to hear that. I'm, just, I'm trying to survive. I got my parole time that I got to do. I'm do what I got to do so I can get up out of here and go on with my life. Hey, were, 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 the, were some of these like your cellmates or just people like on your, like the deck or the unit that you were at? Or? There, were, there were people in the in the unit that I was in. Okay. They had, obviously they had, they had more time than I had and they had converted to Christianity in jail. And I remember there was one of the guys, he was doing 30-year bit. And I kind of listened to him a lot more than the two other guys because this guy had a lot of time under his belt. And he already had been in for, I think it was five, six years already. And he still had all that time left. And uh, he was really telling me about God and Jesus. And I would listen to him and it's cause, because it sounded interesting. And it was something different that, that nobody else was talking about. You know, everybody else talking about, you know, the gang and, you know, how much money they had and, you yeah. know, you know the, the war stories that they talk yeah, about yeah, in jail. Yeah. But this, this brother was talking about something different and it was it kind of lured me in, but, you know, still had that barrier, still had that wall of like, uh, yeah, was you, hearing you, what, you but, but you, I'm not ready for all this. Yeah, you remind me, the, um, well, when I was in there, I remember a guy, we were working a, a kitchen together, right? And his name was mm-hmm. Jesse. He was like a Sureño from California, but he was out here doing some time for whatever he got caught up doing. But this brother, man, uh-huh. we used to like, you know, work in the kitchen. We'll sit down, you know, and we'll eat uh, lunch or dinner, whatever it was. And he'll he'll be talking to me about God because this brother was like a, like a genuine believer, the way he carried himself and 
just always sharing the gospel with me, sharing stories and man, ministering to me. But like you mentioned, I wasn't ready to receive. But now looking back, I remember all these brothers and I know like God used them like to plant a seed uh, years later with the when God was able to bring the fruit out of it. But man, yeah, so, so you have this brother, he's in there sharing with you and these two other guys. So what's next? So I ended up getting more connected with the brother that uh, obviously that had more time. And I remember walking, walking the yard with him and he would just share with me about the gospel, man. Tell me about Jesus. And I just would just listen. He knew a lot. But right. so then after that, man, um, I ended up finishing my time and ended up getting out and uh, fresh with no, no type of parole on my back or anything. I was, I was free. But, um, but no foundation, no guidance. Ended up, got out. I went right back, okay. right back to the hood, went right back to doing drugs, went right back to being wild on, on the street. Okay. So you're out there back at it, like you said, no direction. Is there anything, an uh, incident or maybe a person that comes into your life during this next season that maybe begins to point yeah. your life in a different direction? My wife. Okay. My wife, man. Uh, you know, like I let you, like I told you before, uh, while I was gone, she was there. You know, I got the letters, answered the phone call, put money on my book. My wife, uh, her grandmother was a woman of faith, man, woman of faith, and Christian woman. She would take my wife to church when she was little. And uh, mind you, you know, my wife grew up kind of rough as well in the neighborhood that she grew up in. Because it's crazy. Um, my wife's family, they were opposition. Okay. So I was part, I was part of one organization <laughs> and my wife's family was part of another organization. Gotcha, man. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that made life <laughs> very, in, in, you know, in, oh, interesting for you guys. Oh man. I'm telling you when, when her family found out that she was dating an opposition, oh, it, it just got, it got really, uh, it got really really interesting yeah they started telling me how can you sit there and knowing that the whole family is this and you're gonna go and you're gonna betray us and you're gonna go with the ops like what's wrong with you you should know better than that you know but she loved she she loved me and i loved right. her and and um even kind, though kind of like, like a west side story huh yeah even though <laughs> her, her family was involved in the gang life she told herself that she didn't want to be there she wanted to be different just because all her family's involved in that lifestyle. She chose not to be part of that. She wanted to be different. She wanted to have a different life and, and not continue down the cycle of what the rest of the family had fallen into. She, I remember she would tell me stories that she would uh, step out of her apartment to go to school. She would have to step over a heroin addict. Um, yeah. And so she kind of, she grew up rough as well, but the, uh, she was the one that that began to, to share with me that God had a plan in mind, that Jesus loved me. So now I'm in jail hearing this stuff about Jesus, right? And, and, and now get out. And she's more, more in tune with telling me about Christ. She would tell me, you know what, Manny, you're going to be a pastor one. And I will laugh at her. Like, Let's okay. get out of here with that mess, man. I don't want to hear <laughs> that. She said, you're going to be a preacher. 
And I'm like, nah, you crazy, girl. Like, that church stuff, like, that's for you and your family and your grandma. Like, damn, I don't want nothing to do with that. And, but no, she kept, uh, you remember, she gave me an ultimatum. She said, you know, if you want to be with me, I don't want to, she said, I don't want to be with no gangbangers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do good and I'm trying to go to church. And I want to do right. And, uh, because I loved her, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it drew me, it drew me closer to her. And, um, I remember stepping into church for the first time. And it was, uh, it was scary, man. It was scary because, you know, being raised Catholic, you go into a Catholic church, you see all the saints on the wall, you see Jesus on the crucifix. But then when you walk into a Christian church and it was a multicultural the preacher, was uh, he was black and the, the church was mixed with black, white, Hispanic. A lot of people in there, they were singing, raising their hands. Yeah. You know, people was crying and all that. Me, I'm like, crazy man they scared me i'm like what is going on here because yep. you know being part of that street life you know and you come into a setting like that that you're not used to kind of a little alarming and people are too lovey-dovey you know like hey how are you welcome and trying to trying to hug up on you and i'm, I'm offensive like man what you doing like don't touch me you know because <laughs> yep, gotcha. i wasn't all used to used to that people hugging on me and right, stuff right. Man. that's for sure so yeah, she um she would uh kept insisting and telling me about the Lord and then every time I would see her grandma and her grandma would thank God rest her soul she passed away a few years ago. Man, she would preach to me, man. She would preach to me and she would tell me in Spanish, Mijo, tu vas a ser un predicador un día. She would tell me, You're gonna be a preacher one day. So I'm like mm-hmm. now she's telling me this stuff right. man. and I'm more more confused, like preacher, like what? Oh man. Just, it was just uh, they were speaking into my life where at that time I didn't understand you know what what God was trying no we're not trying but what I was being blinded to what I wasn't right. listening to what they were seeing in me where I couldn't even see in myself but it took my wife seven years of praying for me of fasting for me she was very committed and very involved in the church. Obviously, I wasn't. She was in church. I was on the block, game banging and smoking and drinking and doing drugs and um, just being wild. I put her to a lot of negative things. and stole from her. I called her yeah. off her name. I'm not not happy for the things that I put mm-hmm. her to. And through all that, she kept being patient with me, praying for me. And people would tell me, God, they're going to leave them. He's a loser. He's never going to change. He's going to be a gangbanger on his life. They're going to kill him on the street. Or he's going to overdose with cocaine. Like, just leave him alone. A lot of people would tell them, even people within the church would tell her, like, he's a right. loser. He's not going to change. Let him go. But she kept praying and kept praying. Every time she was, you know, I spent time with her. Like, oh, well, you're not going to be like this for the rest of your life. Can be if Jesus is calling you. It was just, it was a battle, bro. Seven Amen. years of just um, not wanting to listen. But um, eventually it sunk, sunk, it sunk in. Well, do you remember like a day or incident where you felt like something clicked, something changed? Oh, man. Was it a where process? Where it really clicked was, it was, a, it was a process, but what it clicked was I was out on, a, I think it was like a three-day binge. Cause I, would, I would disappear. Okay. Days at a time. 
And when I would disappear, she wouldn't know where I was at. I would turn off my phone so nobody would know where I would be at. And um, I was really addicted to cocaine. So a lot of neighborhoods have what they call nation houses. Okay. Nation house is pretty much a house that is governed and controlled by the actual gang. And in that nation house, you do drugs, you drink, parties. So I would lock myself in the nation house two, three days without coming out. And she didn't know that, obviously, because I wouldn't let her know where I was hanging out at. And, but she would uh, call the morgue and kind of find out where I was at. So long story short, I'm getting out of this binge, coming back home. I'm drunk out of my mind. I get home. We At the time, we were living in a basement apartment and uh, walked into the apartment. She had my bags packed. She's like, you know what? I'm drunk. Drunk <laughs> tells me. I'm done with you. I can't deal with you no more. Here's your bag. You know, you got to leave. Go back to wherever you're going to go, but I don't want nothing to do with you. And uh, I remember standing at that door and I was like drunk. I don't care. I started grabbing my bag. She's like, no, put those bags down. And I looked at her like, you want me to leave? I'm getting my bag. I'm out of here. She said, she took the bags and she threw them on the ground. She looked at me straight in my face and she pointed at me and she said, in the name of Jesus, come against that spirit of rebellion right now. Come against the spirit of drunkenness right now in Jesus' name. I rebuke every demonic force that's controlling and consuming my husband right now and I come against it right now in the name of Jesus. She's just speaking, started just praying and then speaking. She said, you're going to be a preacher one day. You're going to be a pastor one day. I don't accept this. You are going to be a man of God. God is going to set you free. Uh, she kept praying and praying for me, man. The drunkenness went away. Now I was sober. Mm. Now I'm in this in my in in the basement apartment. I'm sober, and I'm scared. Like, what in the world are they teaching this woman? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, I gotta go <laughs> to church. Amen. Like, where did like? It's just the authority that she had. It, it yes, just it yes. spooked me. Like, oh, you know. She was telling me, and, and I had never heard her speak to me this way. That's why I knew something changed, something clicked, because that drunkenness and that it, it, I wasn't high and I wasn't drunk anymore. I was sober. Amen. Praise that God. That really opened up my it opened up my eyes to man. This is this is not a joke. This is yes. real. Yes, sir. So slowly I ended up. I'm like, you know what? I gotta go, I gotta go to church. Go to church, and um. It took, it took a little bit, you know, me visiting the church for maybe about a year. Okay. About a year I was visiting, but still doing, doing my mess, you know. And uh, I overdosed on cocaine three different times. Man, d d during that and year? During that year, three different times. I OD'd in the last one. Um, I was in the hospital. And sitting in the hospital room and um, there was a TV screen on the wall on the, the left-hand side towards the ceiling. There was a screen and I was coming out of the, you know, obviously they saved my life. Now I'm coming out of it and I'm sitting there in that, that room and I looked at the TV screen. The TV is off and in the TV screen I started seeing black shadows shadows that were surrounding my bed. But when I would look around me, I didn't see anything. 
But while I was looking at the TV screen, I could see the shadow around my bed. And mind you, not, I, come, I came back, shot me up with all the medication and all that. But I started seeing that and I started screaming, I remember, inside of the, inside of the room. And I said, they're trying to get me, they're trying to get me. They're just coming in with the talking. You don't see them on the screen right there. And um, they're looking at it. It's just a blank screen. So there's nothing wrong, nothing there. I said, they're right there. You don't see them. You don't see them. I could see the some shadows yes. around my bed, but they couldn't see them. Little did I know that those were, that God was allowing me to see that those demons yeah. that were surrounding my bed. And that's where, that's where it clicked. That was like the last time, like, man, this is not a joke. I gotta stop playing around. I gotta, I gotta take things seriously, man. I can't keep doing this. And, um, ended up leaving the hospital, ended up going back to, to church but they they used to call me in the in the church cabeza brindada what, uh, what does that mean? Hard, uh, cabeza brindada hardhead uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I was hard headed bro gotcha. I just had this is, issue of submitting to authority yeah. I had an issue to li- listening to people like I wouldn't want to listen to nobody and and the pastor at that time the church that I was attending told me in Spanish, tú le estás corriendo a tu llamado, mm. Dios te está llamando a ser un pastor, pero tú no lo quieres, mm. tú vas a venir a la iglesia, es una seña. I'm going to say it in English. Yeah, yeah. He said, you know, God, he's like, you're running from your calling, you're called to be a pastor, and you continue to run, you're going to come back with, with a sign, you're going to come back to the church with a sign. So, I'm looking at this guy like, man, this dude is crazy. He's like, the Lord showed me he told me he told me to tell you that first you're going to come back to church with a sign you don't repent you don't get right with the Lord he's like I'm going to end up doing your funeral right. at that time I really didn't understand how God speaks to people Right. so I kind of like still right, I'm still in the rebellion stage man after overdosing and you know having that encounter with my wife was she prayed for me and I wasn't drunk no more then I seen the, the Demons around right. my, I'm still on that on that hard headed rebellion stage, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then then the pastor tells me, you know, you're running from your calling. You're gonna come back with a sign, and after that, if you don't repent, I'm gonna do your funeral. I said, man, you crazy. So guess what, brother? I end up going back to the block, and going back to to what I knew best: getting high, getting drunk, game banging with my boys, and then boom, we are we're having a junta, we're having a meeting. Oppositions come, we start getting into it with them. You know, we ended up, uh, we, we were in the, in the alley having a meeting, the cops come and start arguing. So then we end up running away and jumping in a, in a conversion van. And they ended up, you know, jumping in there right as well. And uh, long story short, they ended up catching up with us. And on, on, I was sitting on the right hand side of the, of the van. They started shooting. When he started shooting us, I got I got shot in my arm, and but um ended up you know uh, ended up driving us to the the emergency room, and I was sitting in the emergency room. You know, the police officer came in, and like man, where you you were sitting at, you should have been dead right now. He's like, I don't even know how you're still alive. I had just all those bullets that that came into that that van. I only got shot in my arm by mm-hmm. my wrist. So now I'm sitting in that 
that emergency room and um, tearing up because I could hear the pastor's voice right. telling me about about the sign. This is my sign. What else do I need for me to totally just say that's it? I can't do this anymore. I can't no more. Right. What else do I need to see? Of me almost losing my life to to the street life. So, and then this police officer telling me where I was sitting at, you don't even know how I'm still alive. He said, and he said, it, he said it clearly. He said, there must be a God watching over you. Man. Because you should have been dead right now. should have been dead right now. Amen. And that's, that's pretty much the way it hit me. Uh, that was the breaking point. Like, you know what? I can't be around no more, man. This is dope. And uh, the bullet had came into my wrist and shattered my wrist bone in a million pieces. And, surgeon that was uh, taking care of me at the time, he told me that because the bullet had shattered my bone and bone shattered like that, he said that I was going to end up staying handicapped for the rest of my life and I was not going to be able to use my right hand. So I had a device on my arm for three months and that was pretty much just to keep my hand in place, but he told me as it's functioning, with your wrist moving and you being able to use your hand, he's like, it's to nothing, you don't have a chance. But at that time, you know, I have this device on my arm. Now I'm going. Now I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm going to church every Bible study. I'm in right. church whenever, whenever they had church, I was in there. <laughs> you know, and um, so I started listening to the preacher and and preaching about healing. I remember telling surgeon, "I'm like, well, do you believe in miracles?" He's like, no, I don't believe in miracles. Like, do you believe in healing? He's like, not no miraculous healing. He's like, buddy, he told me straight up, there's no hope for you. I said, you know what, Doc? Well, I don't accept what you're saying, man. You say that I'm not going to be able to use my arm. You know what? I believe in Jesus and he is my savior. And I believe that he can heal my arm. And I'm not accepting that you're saying I'm going to be handicapped for the rest of my life. So I just started quoting a little bit that I was hearing from what the preacher was telling me what I'm hearing in preach in Bible study and I had had surrendered my life over to Christ. I said, Look, Lord, I'm new to this, I don't know too much, but man, you you gotta help me out here. So the surgeon telling me I'm gonna be handicapped for the rest of my life. Now I'm just acting in faith, like, man, please God, heal my arm. I need to work. You know, I need to I need to be able to have function in my hand, wrist, to God be the glory, but God healed me, man. And Amen. I have my hand all functioning. I don't have no issues with my hand. Nothing. The Lord did the work. Amen. Healed Praise me. God. So that that happens as you're signing. You go back. What things change immediately? Or like, let, let me ask you this. Uh, your friends that knew you before this and now they're seeing the change. Oh, like, what, 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 what would they say that started to change about your life? Like, once they seen you go so, down this path. So now I'm getting more involved in church. Um, let me see my hand. Got, got healed and so I stayed stayed away from the block I stayed away from pretty much just said I'm, I'm done left right. the neighborhood but um I ended up bumping into one of the one of the main guys of the organization and at a, at a, a haircut place I was getting a fade getting a haircut and I seen him there and, you know I was not gonna run so he hadn't seen me in some months and just pretty much kept it 100 with him I said look man I gave my life to Jesus I'm not on this anymore. Obviously, I told him, you know what happened. You know, I got shot. He knew about it. And I said, you know, I'm done. 
you know, I got to take my violations out, whatever, whatever I have to do to do it. I'm not under it anymore about, about serving him. I don't want to mess around and do his will. I don't want to play. Done. And he told me straight up, like, you look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to bless you out. Mm-hmm. He told me just like that. He said, right. you can leave the hood. But if you decide to come back, we're going to smash you. Right. It ain't going to go good for you. If you want to come back, it's to take the guys to church. But other than that, you ain't welcome back in the hood. Stay at church, do what you got to do, but this is your green light to go. Gotcha. So I took it as it as as it went, and I stood away. You know, I got right. to uh, got I got into a routine. I just got heavily involved in the church, man. And uh, then no, no as as as, in, as you're involved in the church, what, what what kind of things did you begin to do? Like I, I know you mentioned earlier that you were hard headed. You don't want to to listen to anybody, right? <laughs> so how now now. So, Go go ahead, go ahead, bro. So eventually, I ended up submitting, bro. I ended I gotcha, up submitting okay. to the Lord first, to the Lord, and I started reading the Word and I started learning about obedience, learning how to honor leaders, respect your leaders, and how to put leaders in your heart, your eyes to help you and to guide you, to disciple you. And when I started learning how to be obedient, started being more respectful, and I started listening to the pastor and to the leadership, started asking God to change me because. I had a lot of anger built up inside. I had a lot of, you know, anxiety and things that, that I had to deal with. And only God was the only one that freed me from it. But then I just started getting more involved in church and started submitting more. And, you know, God would test me through with individuals, especially with the pastors, tell me to do stuff. A part of me be like, man, I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> but another part of me be like, oh my God, just shut up and do it. Yep. And then sometimes the pastor would do things to pick at me to see if you know if I was changing or not, yeah. see if I was going to snap. But I just stood my ground and I respected and I stood quiet and I uh, I was loyal, bro. Just like right. the same energy, the same commitment that I put on the streets and on the block, I switched it around and I put that energy into the church, Amen. the kingdom of God, to the Lord. Like I was, I'm like, you know what? If I was loyal to the streets, I'm gonna be loyal to the Lord. Be loyal yes, to the church. Be loyal to the pastor. I'm gonna be loyal to the organization. I'm gonna be loyal to, to what you use this place and you use these people to help me. So I'm gonna give it my all. So I started, you know, just being submissive and listening. And then that gave me, they gave me the opportunity to work with teenagers because okay. I just had a connection with them. You know, because I end up surrendering. I was 23 years old when I surrendered to the Lord. So that's at 23 years old is when I said, done with everything. Mind you, I was at the age of 14. At 23 is that's when I said, that's it, done. Through, I surrendered completely to Jesus and I started following him. And I got involved in youth ministry and uh, just started first with my, with my wife's two brothers and the pastor's three kids. And then from there, the youth group just started growing, man. And there was a point in time we ended up having like 40, 50 kids, man. And um, it just, my wife and I just started working with the teenagers and just having this responsibility in my hands, it, 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 it pushed me to be more closer to God and to ask God to change me because now it was not all about me. I was a right. teenager. I had to be an example to them. They were following me, you know, and I'm like, man, I can't be no hypocrite. I gotta be real deal because I'm right. leading these kids and I'm praying with them and I'm teaching them the Bible and 
can't, can't be a hypocrite. I can't be fake with these kids. You know what I'm saying? I got to be real with them. So right. that position pushed me to, to give him my all and do things right with the Lord, man. Really live it, not just you know, not just say it, but to actually live it. And um, yeah, I was eight years in youth ministry along with my wife, working hard in the church, but. Um, being in the church, not only were we working in youth ministry, but the pastor was training us in different areas, working with adults. What he was doing was preparing us for ministry, right. preparing us for what God had in store for us because he always told me, Manny, don't get so used to working with teenagers. He's like, one day God's going to lift up you and your wife. God's going to give you a church. You're going to be a pastor one day. I'm like, no, you crazy pastor. Like, right. no, I'm going to stay by your side forever. I'm going to be a youth pastor all my life. Right, All I right. want to work is with teenagers, man. I'm good. I don't want to work. I don't want to. I don't want to be no pastor, no adult. I'm cool. I'd rather just work with teenagers. I love teenagers. Yeah. And but but God, <laughs> He has other plans, bro. Hey man, hey, can, can I ask he you this? The, the, this church? Are you still on the north side of Chicago? Where, where, when all this is happening, is is that there still? Yeah, still okay. on the northwest side of Chicago, which is 15 minutes away from the neighborhood that I used to game bang in. Okay, so you're there, man. You're serving. You're growing. How, how did you end up where you're at now? So we're there, and then opportunity opened up here in Aurora. Uh, a pastor that was here at this church was no longer here. So now there was a group of people here that were pastorless, and they pretty much, you know, the organization I'm, I'm involved in, it's um, called Church of God that's connected with Anderson, Indiana. So our regional pastor. He came and he spoke to me and said, look, uh, I want you to step in here at in Aurora and just come, just come and preach on a few Sundays a month. Just come and preach. So I didn't know that they were really looking for a pastor. I just knew that they didn't have a pastor anymore. So I just came in to fill in, um, right. to preach and to, you know, bring, bring them a message Sundays, maybe about twice to three, three times a month. I did that for, for about five months coming back and forth here to Aurora, not knowing that they were in search of a pastor. And um, so I kept coming out and then going back to Chicago at my old church, still serving there and then coming out here to Aurora, getting involved. And eventually I was told, look, they're actually thinking about, they're interviewing pastors, you, your wife, and four other candidates as well. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, well, this is what it is. You know, my wife and I started praying. I said, Lord, if you call us to ministry and you call us to the city in Aurora, then you'll open up the door, you know. Right. You don't, if you don't want us here, then it's all good. Because I always thought about if we were pastors, we were going to be pastors in Chicago, Humble Park. Right, that's right. where we're from. Gotcha. And, but, but no, God, God has a sense of humor, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that door opened up here. Um People that were here, they uh, they ended up choosing my wife and I to, to be the pastors here, and pretty much the church was dying, bro. There was only 20 people left. Okay, it was a predominantly all white church. What 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 a year um, is this? 2014. Okay, 2014. We come in, the church is dying. The pastor had left because they couldn't they couldn't pay him anymore. So they pretty much told me, you know, you and your wife come and pastor this church, but you have to be bivocational, which means you have to work a full-time job and you have to try to pastor a church. 
Right. And if the church, they told us, if the church doesn't grow in six months, we're going to close it. So here is 20 people. The youngest person was like 45. No way. The rest were all. (laughs) That was the youngest. Seven years old. Gotcha. The youngest person was 45. And then, you know, my wife and I, we're in our 30s. Yeah. We come into this church predominantly all white. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what are we going to do here? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And we ended up we ended up answering the call. We moved out to Aurora and started working, you know, working, working a full-time job and then you know, kind of passed the church out here. And um, the church here at the time was running a food tank. And they were basically, there was a one family, a Mexican family, that they were blessing every, every two weeks with food boxes. Right. And, um, their, their, his family had came for the last time to collect, collect food boxes. They were not going to pick them up anymore. They had decided, okay, we're doing better now. We'll pick up this last uh, batch of food boxes and we'll let the blessing go on to somebody else. A little did we know that this family was the family that God was going to use to build the church. No way. And, um, we met them and amazing, amazing, big, big family. There are about uh, 15 of them. <laughs> and, uh, mind you, Catholico, Catholic to the bone. Okay. Catholic. Yes. Never been to a Christian church before. Um, they come in and, and we give them the food boxes and my wife and I, we meet them. They're, we're like, oh, we're new here. We're the pastors now. They're like, well, you guys, you guys are really young. You're pastors? We're like, yeah, we're the new pastors here. And so we made a connection with this family. And we started investing time with them and uh, praying with them. And um, they ended up coming to church for the first time. But they're like, you know, we're Catholic. And don't tell us anything about <laughs> my Virgin Mary. Yeah, and you yeah, know how yeah. they have Oh, their, yeah, that's, that's how I was, have, man. Trust me. Yeah, they have their beliefs and their, yep. their, their what they follow. And they were straight up like, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me nothing about my statues. And I said, look, yeah. I'm not going to tell you anything about Guadalupe and Mary, nobody. I'm going to disrespect <laughs> you. I just want to tell you about Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what he's done for me and family. And instead of preaching the word to them, little by little, so I tell them about God. And then they started asking questions about idolatry and all this other stuff about the, the, the questions that they had. Long right. story short, the whole family ended up converting to Christianity. Amen. All of them converted to Christ. And they started bringing people to church. Um, we started doing a bilingual service. Mm. And um, left my wife and I, this, this one family, this um, Suniga family. And um, and from there, you know, it was hard, but we pretty much had to build the church from the bottom up. Right. It was difficult. It was hard. I'm not going to sit here and just paint a pretty picture like, yeah, ministry's been easy. No, sir. Yeah. It was a battle. There was many times that we wanted to quit, many times that we wanted to go in the south. But this family is what kept us to stay strong for them and to, to continue. And, and they were the first one. And then from them, then another family came. And then another family came. Now we've been here eight years. It's been, a, it's been a blessing. Uh, the way that I connected with you was through JC from Long to Strong, you know, and uh, this brother, 
love this brother. He's a he's an awesome guy, man. It's crazy how I met him through YouTube. I was one of his followers, and um, ended up putting this the video where he said he's done making cartel videos. I remember sending them a message and saying, you know, happy for you that you gave your life to Jesus, next with you, and he ended up responding, and then we ended up, you know, talking more, and then, you know, establishing a bond, and then he came, you know, uh, he ended up coming out here to Illinois, and he uh, he asked me to baptize him, and that was a, that was a privilege, that was an honor. Amen. Then, you know, have him share his story at the church, and it's just how, how God does does think that how he makes connections and it's just amazing how he works. Yes, awesome, yes. Man. So grateful that I'm able to share a bit of my, my story because it's oh, long, man. man. I, oh, just yeah, kinda, yeah. I just try to put it <laughs> as, hey. as make it as small as possible into the time that we have, right. you know. I got but, you. you know, oh, hey, hey, there's, there's a brother. good uh, in, intro. <laughs> well, we'll yeah, get it, we'll get into intro. part two. <laughs> Part two later. Okay, yeah, hey, I'm sure you got some stories, whether it be still back from the neighborhood, or even in ministry and ministry stories, stories from my past. Right. You know, it's uh, can never. You know, you can never forget where you came. From. Gotcha. This is what happens. Where I've noticed in ministry, I've been in ministry 17 years, and um, I've learned a lot, seen stuff within the church, churches in general. Some of it I've agreed on, and some I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh, like, what is this? But, you know, I don't right. judge nobody. I just right, right. Stay quiet. I pray about it, and I say, Lord, I'm going to lead and pastor the way you want me to. So, Amen. Um, I won't judge and knock nobody else's ministry. Right. I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. But, That's you know, right. we're in the last days, my brother. Amen. And we got to stand up for what's right. We got to preach the truth the way, the way it is, black and white, the way it's in the word. Follow the word, you know, be real deal with people, you know, and, and, and you know, if we were so sold out, but we were born believers, we came from the rough backgrounds, the rough lifestyle. But now that we're serving Jesus, man, that same energy and that same craziness that we used to pour out when we were lost, we got to bring that same energy and that same bravery and that same courage and that same enthusiasm and that deal into the kingdom of God and preach the truth and I've, I've, uh, they've given me a nickname out here in Aurora. They call me Pastor That Keeps It Real. <laughs> pastor I, That Keeps It Real, huh? That's it. That's Pastor That Keeps It Real. I keep it 100 with the people. Right. I make it as simple as possible for them. And I tell them straight up, I look, I'm not going to sit here and preach to you what you want to hear. I'm going to preach to you what you need to hear. Amen. When the last days, it's like the word says, you know, people want to go where the itchy ears want to hear. Yeah. And, and, Brother, we can't sugarcoat the word. We got to be real with it, man. That's right. Those that are that are lost, and if the word of God says the truth will set them free. We're not preaching truth, brother. We're not bringing bringing it the way the Lord wants us to bring it. And people are gonna be lost out there, man. And it's, yeah. like these days are, are shortened, bro. Like everything that's happening around us, no joke, man. It's always time with urgency to preach yeah. the gospel. With urgency to reach people for the Lord. With urgency. And when I see what God is doing, bro, he's snatching brothers like you and I yeah. that came from the depths of, you could say hell, that came from the, the most worst of the worst, pulling us out of those those surroundings of gangs, drugs, islands, prison life, you know, all that. And, 
and changing us, transforming us, putting this hope, power within us, so we can reach those, bro, that are lost out there. Amen. And I'm just so grateful for this privilege. I'm grateful that God has given me this chance to to be able to be a pastor, but to just be a man of God, yes, be a, a follower of His, and just to to tell others about Him, not just by preaching to them, but it's just by the way you live and the way you carry yourself and the way you speak, the way you represent the kingdom and you represent yourself as a man of God or also women of God, you know, being real with the faith and really just, you know, making an impact, man, because times are short. Yeah. Nothing to play around with. Got to be real with our faith. Amen, amen. Pastor, man, hey, I, I agree. Basically, on this podcast, man, we want to get, get get stories like, like yours out there so that people could hear that. That Like you mentioned, uh, we can't forget where we came from. I was there, and you mentioned earlier, God has a sense of humor. And the Bible says that he uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And he, he reaches out and grabs a hold of a fool and turns him around and then uses them to build up his kingdom. And God's been putting people together, you know what I'm saying, like JC, yourself. And just I, I see like all, all, all the guys, whether it be here in Illinois, some brothers in other states. And I believe that God is moving, man. And uh I, I just, man, I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I, I get to be a part of this as well, you know, because I believe that's what we're doing here. We're sharing testimonies. And, of course, we're sharing yeah. sharing the bad, but ultimately it's all to point to what God yeah. could do in our lives, you know. So they need to hear that, but then they need to hear that, man, God could turn it around. And, man, we just want to give uh, God the glory on here and to just share that Jesus saves. He has a power to transform, uh, regeneration through his Holy Spirit and be able to break generational curses and put us on a different path to, to change our communities and God willing, change the world. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Hey, 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 Pastor, you want, you want to do us a favor? Uh, could, could, could you close us out in prayer and maybe say a prayer for the young men that are listening out there? Maybe they're involved still yeah. in, in some of the same lifestyles, some of the same addictions and things that held you back. Yeah, just pray for whatever God places on your heart. Father God, we come to you tonight. Thank you, God, that you saved us, oh Lord. First and foremost, oh Lord, I pray for the listener to be listening to this episode, to this podcast in general, Wrong to Strong podcast, oh Lord. The individuals, oh God, that have been changed and transformed by your power, Lord Jesus. I pray for these brothers or sisters that are tuning in and perhaps they're struggling with drug addiction. Perhaps they're still involved the life, gang, violence, wherever they may be, Lord God, behind bars, with no hope, with thoughts that they can never change, with thoughts that that's all they know, there's no way out, with thoughts of uh, they're going to be hopeless, losers for the rest of us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come in and you will reveal yourself to your people, your children, your creation. You will show them how much and that there is hope for them, that you can transform them, that you can set them free from the addiction, that you can fill them with joy and with love, Father God. You can give them the peace that they're searching for, Father, that you can forgive them of any wrongdoing, of any sin they've committed, oh God. No matter how bad it is, oh Father, you can forgive them, Father. 
You can restore my You can set free my God. You can do the impossible possible. So for all the listeners that will be hearing this episode of Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will begin to tug at their heart. That you will show them how much you love. That you will show them how much you care for them. That you will do great work in their hearts. Pray for the wrong, strong podcast, Lord Father. I pray that you will continue to grow it. I pray, God, that you will continue to, to bring forth brothers and sisters, oh God, that have amazing stories, transformation. You pull them out of the life of darkness, pull them into the light of light, light kingdom, being set free by you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you so much for everything that you do. Continue to use our brother Omar, oh Father God, as the host. Continue to use our brother JC as you're opening up many doors for him to travel. Father God, and share his story. We worship you and we thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Manny, for being on here. And you know what? Could you share real real quick? Share once again the name of your church, where it's located, maybe give the address, and where can people find you online if they want to check out an online service? Okay, so we are Restoration Church in Aurora, Illinois, 1460 West Indian Trail Road. You can find us on Facebook at Restoration Church Aurora. We're also on, on Instagram at Restoration Church Aurora as well. Amen, amen. All right, uh, thank you, Pastor Manny. Uh, God bless you, your wife, your daughters, the ministry, and everything you're doing out there. And, uh, Thank you for being that pastor that keeps it real. Uh, may God continue. To, <laughs> may God continue to use you, like you mentioned, man, to to be a light in the city of lights out there in Aurora. Uh, well, I, I just want to thank all our listeners. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, my, my name is Omar Calvillo, and I am wrong to strong. Good night. Good night.